Cultivating Place is made possible in part through the generosity of the Caddo Shaw Foundation. We are also made possible through support from the Garden Conservancy. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. The Redbud Resource Group is an advocacy organization founded in 2020 by cousins Taylor Penwell and Madison Esposito. The two women believe fiercely that intergenerational healing can occur only when Native voices are valued in every area of public life. Their firsthand experience as modern Native people inspired them to create resources that support all communities in making an often erased population visible again. They indicate that Native people are often left out of conversations on issues that impact their communities. And in the work of the Redbud Resource Group, they see the impact of this erasure regularly. As an intervention, disruption, and antidote to this pattern, the Redbud Resource Group is improving public health outcomes for Native American communities through education, research, and community partnership. At this time of year, when we collectively are often reflecting on what it means to be a citizen, I am so pleased to be joined in conversation by Taylor Penwell and Rose Hammock of the Redbud Resource Group to share much more about this generative and needed work in our world. Welcome to you both, Taylor and Rose. It is so nice to have you here. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Thank you. So, Rosen Taylor, I would love for you to start off by introducing yourselves, your title there at Redbud Resource Group, your tribal affiliation, if you are comfortable with that, and then hopefully something as well about your relationship to plants in your life right now. I'm going to go ahead and start with you, Taylor. Uh, hey, Tunani, Nikki Amsa, Taylor Pennywell. I'm Taylor Pennywell, and I'm the executive director of Redbud Resource Group. I'm Time Maidu. Uh, as my tribal affiliation, I'm a tribal member of Berry Creek Rancheria that is located in Orville, California. Uh, <laughs> the big question to ask, what's the relationship that we have to plants? Um, because I think that plants are our biggest teachers and they guide us. In fact, the Redbud uh, is in the name of our organization. The logo mm. of our organization is one of my great grandmother's baskets. It's over a hundred years old and it is made out of mm. red bud and it is, uh, in the shape of a flower of a red bud flower. And so I kind of think as of the red bud plant as my guiding spirit, plant spirit in this work. Uh, it teaches me the art of basketry, teaches me the tradition of taking care of plants and being in relationship with ancestral land, uh, guides me in the work that I do. Thank you very much. And I'll, I'll ask the same question of you, Rose. Uh, how are you relatives? My name is Rose Hammock. I'm Homo Wailaki Amaidu. Uh, I have multiple ancestry from places here in California, um, as well as Oregon. Um, I am a Pomo from Big Valley Rancheria, Band of Pomo Indians in Lake County, California, as well as Pomo and Wailaki from the Round Valley Indian tribes in Mendocino County. 
And I think my biggest connection to our plants is not just calling them plants. These are our relatives. And the plants take care of us just as much as we take care of the plants. Um, being a, a new basket weaver, you know, in my family and my community, I am learning to have a deeper, uh, more reciprocal relationship with our plants. I have an understanding now that I can't gather from a basket plant every year. Some of our plants take two to three years uh, to grow what we need for our basketry, whether it's sedge, the red bud, willow. Our people in Lake County use tule material quite often. And so really looking at our plants as our relatives, these are like our grandmas and our grandpas. And when we take good care of them, they're going to um, produce what we need to create our beautiful baskets. And um, we're connected to our plants, just like we are connected to the relatives that we have in our family. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to come back to you, Rose. And uh, before we get into the, the history and specific work of the Redbud Resource Group, I would love to have each of you take us just a little deeper into your own background and the path that led you to this advocacy work that you're doing now, sort of starting with, you know, where you were born and raised and maybe the the places and the people and the plants that grew you into a person for whom this native advocacy would be your your kind of organizing principle in life right now. Let's let's go ahead and start with you, Rose. That is a huge question, yeah. uh, but a lot of really I feel connected work to lead me to where I am today here with Redbud. Um, I did not mention, but I'm the community relations manager here. Um, so very public facing, a lot of interaction with our, our native, but also our non-native community um, and the ability to work with multiple tribal representation, uh, not just here in our own work, but outside in the community and helping build a platform to share stories. I think for me, what what drives that is uh, all the work I've done in my own native community here, um, born and raised here in Sonoma County, uh, living in uh, Forestville as a very young child and then living in Santa Rosa all my life into today. I have uh, been raised by three generations pretty much my cousins that are my age, my parents and my grandparents. And um, much like a lot of Native youth, um, we deal with a lot of public health disparities in our community. Um, so growing up with a lot of knowledge around, um, you know, suicide being prevalent in our community. Um, I was led as a youth, roughly 12, 13 years old, to start doing suicide prevention work. And um, really understanding that uh, the issues that happen in our community is not known by a lot of the non-Native community. And I have always felt, no matter what I was doing for work, what I was doing in the community, it all leads to help building a platform to help elevate what is going on to our people. Um, and it's everywhere, you know, in many different um, buckets, you could say. 
Um, so from doing suicide prevention work into opioid awareness work, um, I spent probably seven or eight years of my life working with young children in our native community um, through a TANF program for one of the local tribes here, the Federated Indians of Great and Rancheria. Uh, got many good teachings from the elders, from the tribe and the community there, um, and got into working uh, with Redbud shortly after working with uh, more local youth. Mm -hmm. And I think what I take away from what we can do here uh, as Redbud Resource Group is really help um, elevate a platform for mm -hmm. all of our people mm -hmm. And that we're not here to tell the story of all Native people, but by building good relationships, we are here to help uh, provide a platform for other Native people to come and tell their stories. Because um, we're all diverse. We all have a story to tell. And so um, we're here to help support our people in our community to tell that story. Beautiful. Beautiful. And I, and I love that. Um that concept of we all have a story to tell. I think it's at the very heart of what I do at Cultivating Place in in that from that lens for for gardeners writ large, whatever that means to to the gardeners in the world. Um and what a journey, Rose, and what a lot of depth and many layers there, which I think are all being brought to your work there at Redbud Resource Group, which we'll get into. But Again, before we get there, Taylor, let's move to you and give us your sort of, you know, origin pathway story from where you were born and raised and and the people and places and plants uh, which you got us started on uh, very clearly in that uh, sharing of the Redbud logo and basket uh, for the group. But uh, give us your story that brings you up to the beginning of your work at Redbud Resource Group. Sure. I uh, so as I said, I'm Maidu from from Berry Creek, which is in Butte County, but I'm born and raised in Sonoma County in Santa Rosa, California, which is about a north an hour north of San Francisco, in what is a Southern Pomo, uh, Coast Miwok, and Wapo territory. And so my spirit is kind of split it in two different places and multiple ecosystems, <laughs> um, because I my roots are Maidu, right? My origins dating back for millennia uh, are in Maidu mm -hmm. country, but Maidu country looks very, very different from Pomo country in terms of the ecosystems and the plants that are there. But there are some things that overlap. Like you see red bud um, when I'm walking around here and in Maidu country, I'm always looking at red bud. I'm always looking at willow and different basket materials. I'm looking for black oak trees, um, looking for mugwort, right? Like there's certain things that mm -hmm that connect the territories, but they're also a kind of like a, a symbol for the ancestral relationships between those territories and between those people that have never been broken despite colonization. And so uh, I, I like to think about that, you know, as, as a native person who is split between two territories and is living outside of her ancestral ter territory, that our people have always had relationships with one another and we've had relationships with our land, but our land also has relationships with itself and it's storied in itself. Um, and so I think that's a really cool thing to think about, you know, uh, yeah. still between yeah. territories. But so I was raised in Pomo and Wapo and Coast Miwok territory, uh, 
But what really brought me to the work that I'm doing at Redbud is my 10 years living in San Francisco and working as a middle school teacher. Uh, and when I was teaching middle school, I taught seventh grade. And I, I had a couple of really formative experiences that made me realize that pervasive cultural erasure of not only Native people, but of Native ways of living in a Native land is uh, causing massive health disparities, as Rose said. And, and those experiences really inspired me to start Redbud as an intervention. So I did uh, have Native students in my class, but they consistently were checked out. They were not engaged in the class. The, the curriculum and content were clearly not reflective of their community needs, but also the strengths and knowledge that they brought from their families and from their communities into the classroom were um, overlooked by teachers. And so Native kids were, like I said, consistently getting in trouble, consistently not showing up to class or failing out of the public education system, which was designed to to erase their cultural identities anyways, right? So the system is functioning how it's supposed to. So having uh, seeing that in the classroom led me to get involved in Title VI, which is an Indian education after school program. It's like a supplementary education program for Native students and families. Um, and so I worked in Title VI Indian Ed in San Francisco for a number of years, and I was able to see the Native community of San Francisco come together to create a positive environment that was rooted in cultural plant and um, really like religious cultural ling linguistic knowledge uh, so that their kids had a place to thrive. And it was mm. really cool because I was able to see um, what the Native community is able to achieve in a pretty short amount of time when they are given the resources and the space to thrive. So Native kids who wouldn't show up to school all week would come to after school because they were getting to learn how to process a plant or they were getting to learn mm -hmm. how to beat, or they were getting to learn how to cook an ancestral food and share it, not just with other Native kids, but with their grandmas, their grandpas, their uncles and aunts and parents who were also coming to the meetings. And mm. so that really was a reminder to me, like Native people are really smart and super innovative and our knowledge isn't gone. It's just erased and not allowed in a lot of spaces. Uh, mm. And then the third experience I had was in a conversation with a um, superior of mine in one of my schools uh, who had asked me a question about like, what was my long-term goal for teaching? And I said, eventually I'm going to pivot away from teaching public school and I want to just serve Indian country. I just want to serve Native youth and families and potentially work with some curriculum stuff that's really Native facing. And she said, that is super cool, super noble, but uh, too bad we don't have any Native kids in this district. And that was despite me having multiple Native kids in my classroom. Some of them were like Rose's mm -hmm. uh, nieces, <laughs> small community. Yeah. Um, and it's also despite me knowing that there was an Indian ed program at in the district, right? There are plenty right. of Native families yeah. and they were doing really cool things. And so it hit me that there's this cognitive dissonance or maybe unwillingness mm -hmm. to actually acknowledge the existence of Native people. And the problem is to bring it back to plants is when you don't acknowledge native people, you don't get to acknowledge native land because we have to go together. The people on the land, the people in the water, the people in the plants are inseparable, as Rose said, we're, we're relatives. Um, and so you don't just get to pick and choose, right, what you see. And so that led me to create Redbud, to found Redbud 
as a cultural erasure intervention to help people, to train people, <laughs> to recognize our fundamental existence, to understand that we are inseparable from the land, to powerfully and meaningfully integrate us into projects that um, are, are for the health of the land and to eventually return land and sovereignty and resources back to the native community who are the original and rightful stewards of the land, water, and, and plants of our ecosystems. So it yeah, started with teaching and now it's here. <laughs> this is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. This week before July is upon us and thoughts of what it means to be a citizen are all around us, we're joined this week by Taylor Penwell and Rose Hammock of the Redbud Resource Group, improving public health outcomes for Native American communities through education, research, and community partnership. Stay with us. We'll be back for more with Taylor and Rose. Cultivating Place is made possible in part by the Caddo Shaw Foundation. The Caddo Shaw Foundation funds initiatives that empower women and help preserve the planet through the rich intersection of environmental advocacy, social justice, and creativity. Cultivating Place is also made possible through the support of the Garden Conservancy, a not-for-profit organization whose mission is to preserve, share, and celebrate gardens and America's gardening traditions. Join other gardeners and garden lovers in July and August as the Conservancy celebrates the country's most exciting, creative, and innovative private gardens across the nation. Online registration is now available for all open days through the end of August. Please note that registration for subsequent open days will open approximately two months prior to any given open day. Be sure to sign up for the Garden Conservancy's email list and keep an eye on your inbox for announcements just like these. Hey, it's Jennifer. Every year at this time, I really like us all as gardeners to consider what it means to be a citizen and who are our fellow and sister citizens. If there's one thing the garden teaches us every single day, it's that we always have a lot to learn. We always have things we could be doing better. All I can ask each of us is to keep showing up, to keep learning, to keep elevating and expanding what we think of gardening, how we talk about gardening, and who and what we include in our gardening world view. We can always grow better. We're back now to our conversation with Taylor Penwell and Rose Hammock of the Redbud Resource Group, improving public health outcomes for Native American communities through education, research, and community partnership. As we come back, Taylor shares the germination story and mission of the Redbud Resource Group. We're a pretty young organization, but 
we are really scrappy. <laughs> we we uh, founded in June 2020, and it was myself and my cousin Madison Esposito uh, who founded Redbud. And like I said, I was working as a teacher, and I was noticing all these issues. And at the same time, she was getting a master's in public health at Harvard, of all places, and she was noticing the same issues in the public health mm. sector. And so we had a conversation where we noticed like this cultural erasure is happening in education in K through 12, but it's also happening in public health where people are receiving potentially life-saving care, right? And so what happens yeah. if you go through K through 12 and in the medical field, in the public health field, which encompasses so, so many parts of a person's life, um, if, if in both of those sectors, you're not seen or recognized or acknowledged for your knowledge or for your experience, um, it, it means that your quality of life is significantly reduced and potentially um, how long you live is also also reduced, right? And this is proven in research. And so we decided to found Red, but as a part of her public health master's degree actually because then we could util utilize the resources in that network and so our um, mission is that Redbud addresses and eradicates public health disparities in Native American communities through um, education relationship building and research now you might be wondering what's up with the public health thing uh, to bring back what Rose and I were talking about, when Native people don't have access to their land, when we don't have access to our plant relatives, when we don't have access to clean water, when we are consistently culturally erased from every single part of American life, it is a public health crisis. It creates public health crises. And that is why what we do is a public health intervention. And I, and I like to emphasize that because I don't think many non-Native people think of it in that way, especially when we're talking about gardening. You might um, be thinking about plants and the relationship that they have in your life a little bit differently. But for us, it really is a life or death situation for our families and for our cultures and for our plant animal relatives that we are in relationship and we have a good relationship with one another. I think that connection to our, our mental and physical health is just mm, something that needs to be underlined over and over again, but especially in this discussion about erasure and blindness and how we uh, overcome that uh, as ourselves and for the benefit of the people against whom this has been perpetrated. So, this moves us, I think, so beautifully, Rose and Taylor, into some of the work you are doing. And maybe take us through the history of the programs you began to develop with this mission in mind uh, from your very founding. Yeah. So we do ha currently have two kind of big buckets of work that we are working on. Uh, the first is curriculum development. And as, as you said, Jennifer, um, we have all of these free curriculum resources available on our website. They're designed for K through 12. So there is a there's a preschool curriculum um, that's all about acorns. I highly recommend it. Mm -hmm. It's really great in the fall. <laughs> uh, talk about cultivating place. Start, start them young, right? Um, right, right. And then they move all the way up through high school level. But we, in the, the case of healthy ecosystems, feed healthy communities, it's a science lesson that is from the Native perspective. It's actually focused on Oak, the Oak Woodlands ecosystem here in Sonoma County. And really the, mm -hmm. the takeaway from the that unit is that 
um, in order for you to have a healthy community, to have healthy food, to have healthy water, you have to have a healthy ecosystem. Um, so mm -hmm. it really emphasizes the health of the person is a reflection of the health of the ecosystem. And we include all kinds of case studies and science activities for, uh, it's mostly, it's like grades five through nine, I would say, to learn about how Native people traditionally and in uh, and today continue to apply tribal or traditional ecological knowledge practices to the land in order to keep it healthy. And that's just one of the examples. We have ethnic studies support um, curriculum as well. We're also in the process of creating a California genocide introductory unit. And, you know, this is another point. You might not think the California genocide is related to plants, the ecosystem. Mm. However, it is central to many of the ecological challenges that we're facing as a state today. Because the state, first of all, would not exist without the state-sanctioned, organized, legislated genocide of California's native people. And that genocide and removal of the people from the land is what enabled the um, extraction of resources from the land. And we are now dealing with the repercussions of those today, that today. And so we're starting that unit and it's um, going to continue. It's, it's a genocide unit that's going to turn into an ecocide unit. Uh, and so stay tuned because I think it's yeah. a really exciting resource. It's going to be really useful for people, not just teachers and students, but also for adults who don't know this information. So we have all that education programming. We do professional development trainings with teachers, but we also have this flagship program going beyond land acknowledgements. And it's a training and assessment program for nonprofits, for organizations, for government agencies, utility agencies uh, who want to work more with Native and tribal communities, uh, but who don't have the background knowledge that they need to do it, but also don't have the strategic planning um, the strategic plan in place to actually take concrete steps and and make an impact. And so we say like going beyond land acknowledgements is a program that prepares you to return land power and resources back to Native American communities. It is all about yeah. taking concrete action to actually restore yeah. sovereignty to Native people and to Native ecosystems. Okay. So I want to slow you down here because uh, you're giving us a lot to think about, and I want people to to pause here for a second because I think everybody listening will have a familiarity with the um, like ubiquitousness at this point of land acknowledgments of universities, of performing arts centers, of you know public parks, of of you know cultivating place, acknowledging now the traditional people on whose lands whatever that is you're attending or listening to or reading exist and and there is something beautiful about this this new inclusion in our language and in our um you know normal daily lives because it begins by giving a name and giving a a place marker for people. And that right there helps to work against erasure and blindness and um, complicitness through both erasure and blindness. But sometimes it can be completely empty because just saying I live on and produce cultivating place on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Maidu of the Chico Rancheria 
like what does that actually mean and how does that benefit other than at least giving a name to this exact group of people who have stewarded this land. And so I have attended one of your Going Beyond Land Acknowledgements uh, training courses, and this is one of the things you talked about at the conservation uh, conference. But I'd like you to talk people through a little bit some of uh, what that training goes through and what you mean by taking concrete steps, not only in uh, the form of reparations, but in the form of like mental perspective shifts, Taylor? Uh, Sure. So land acknowledgement means something a little bit different to us than it does to a non-native person, at least Mm -hmm. from our perspective as Redbud, because we we understand the challenge of what it means to exist as a native person. So there are political challenges. There is systemic discrimination against native people there we continue to face extraction and forced removal of our lands and from our lands and we still face the the biggest health disparities in the country when it comes to suicide rates homelessness rates mental health right and so what we want people to understand is when you're giving a land acknowledgement what are you actually trying to do what are you actually trying to do? Do you have enough cultural and political and like contextual awareness of what the native existence is in order to understand what your intention is? Because if you don't understand the community that you are acknowledging, if you're not in relationship with the community that you're acknowledging, then how are you possibly going to know what the uh, impact of your statement is? Right. And so we take a lot of time in the beginning to go through what we call Native 101, like what is the political context? What is the historical context? So that and what are the public health disparities that we're dealing with so that people can start to reflect, like when I give this acknowledgement, when I say this, am I thinking about myself or am I thinking about the community that I am acknowledging? And we remind people that whatever you're doing, whatever your intention is with your acknowledgement, it should be benefiting that native community more than it should be benefiting you. And this isn't to like punish yourself or whatever, right? It's just, if you're doing it with good intentions and pure intentions, then it isn't really about you. It's about, um, it's about creating some kind of positive effect or impact for that community that continues to be harmed. Yeah. And it, I mean, I think, um, you know, one of the things that came out of the the training that I was involved in um, for, for me is that it is, it is an intention and therefore then an ongoing journey and process of trying to help in whatever ways I can to redress this incredible disparity and, um, you know, trauma and, and and all of the things that are that are a reality and and doing what i can to be more familiar to be more um engaged and to um stay in that process of redressing um this imbalance this disparity 
that that comes at all of these levels. Yeah, yeah. And, and a part of that, because we focus on that for one part, you know, but we don't want to be all doom and gloom right. and sad the whole time. But the the other half of it is that um, a part of addressing the disparity is actually learning about the strengths of the community. Yes. That, that we are not perpetual victims, right? That we're actually really strong to have been able to survive what we've survived and to protect the knowledge that we've been able to protect. Um, and that those strengths and that knowledge often just don't have a platform to be heard. Mm -hmm. And so once we talk about the strengths, right? And like what we have and what we have to share and, and our values, the question for the participant becomes, um, how then can I, like, what can I give of myself? What resources do I have available? What platforms do I have available that I can hand over to that community so that they can speak for themselves, right? Um, for the benefit of all people. And that's actually what you're doing here by, by providing us a platform to speak and share today. And we call this capacity transference, right? So when we, sometimes we, we work with different organizations and we create strategic plans for them for making concrete steps to return land and power and resources back to native communities. And what we do is we look at what they already, what they have in place as a non-native organization or whatever it is, an agency. Do they have money? Do they have money that's available? Do they have land that's available? Do they have a um, grant application that they're working on that could maybe use some really solid native leadership and collaboration. Uh, do they have some kind of concrete like thing that they can donate to the community? You know, like it really, it really is like what gifts, what privileges do you have in your community that you received because you are a settler? Can you transfer back to that community, whether it's a small thing or whether it's a mm -hmm. large thing. And we just want to help people build like a, a metacognitiveness, a, an awareness of uh, of what they have, you know, and where, and where they're at right. um, so that they can start to strategize. How are they gonna transfer it back? This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. This week, we're joined in conversation by Taylor Penwell and Rose Hammock of the Red Bud Resource Group, improving public health outcomes for Native American communities through education, research, and community partnership. We'll be right back for more about their work. Stay with us. Hey, it's Jennifer again. I know that I have shared with you that my third book, What We Sow, on the personal, ecological, and cultural significance of seeds will be publishing on September 19th of this year, and that pre-orders are available now. I wanted to give you a heads up that my summer communications intern, Sheila Stern, has designed the most lovely book plate for what we sew. And I wanted to offer out to any of you that have placed a pre-order or do place a pre-order, no matter where you place that pre-order, if you send me by email a confirmation of your pre-order, I will happily put a signed book plate in the mail to you to go into your new book when it arrives. My email, cultivatingplace at gmail.com. Send me a confirmation of your pre-order 
and your best mailing address. I will sign your lovely book plate and I will get it off to you. If you want to take a look at what that book plate looks like, make sure to be following Cultivating Place on Instagram and you will see that I posted the book plate earlier this week. As always, thank you for your support, your notes of encouragement, and for being here listening just about every week. We're back now to our conversation with Taylor Penwell and Rose Hammock of the Redbud Resource Group. Their work integrating native, created, and based curriculum into K through 12 education, as well as into public health and land management policy, is also striving to engage non native individuals and groups to go beyond empty or ineffective land acknowledgements. As we come back, Rose shares more about the importance of collaboratively stewarding our plants in our communities of people, of finding ever more ways to learn, to give back, to appreciate, and to truly acknowledge. You know, being a being a good steward, you know, I think going back to what Taylor said, just like myself, I feel double removed living in Sonoma County. And both of my, you know, families come from Lake and Mendocino County. And so um, I, for me, when I, you know, go and tend to places, um, it's done with respect and permission. Um, yes, I'm native. Yes, I live here. But this is not my homelands. I myself will ask permission um, to go and gather, you know, certain plants in certain areas. And that's my way of being a good steward living here because, yes, I'm native, but I'm still a guest here, mm. you know, and how do I go about being in right relation with the relatives that are really from here? This is their home. You know, how would I respect them? How I would want to be respected in my home place. Mm. And that's done through having respect, reciprocity and relationships. That's what we call our three R's at Redbud. And it's a part of that, that we've created this leg, you could say, of our going beyond land acknowledgements is the creation of our right relations program. It's been specifically designed for Together Bay Area, which is a cohort of 70 plus organizations um, in all of the counties that make up the Bay Area. And, you know, we've created this kind of cohort based pilot program, you know, this is our first time doing it. And we're really focused on helping them learn how to build alliances with not just the local Native communities and the Native governments, but it's really with this goal in mind that uh, this is a collective action, you know, by going on through our online training. So they've also gone through kind of three little versions of our uh, going beyond land acknowledgements really learning about, um, you know, California people in our ecosystems, um, learning about how diverse um, our communities are, learning about that impact um, that colonization has had on our people through genocide and ecocide, you know, really learning not just what tribal sovereignty is, but how to support it, um, especially as non-Native people. And, um, we're really excited in this new year, we're gonna be providing some field trips that are in person. 
So not only have they been learning about how to be in good relationships with Native people, now we're taking them out to meet some of uh, Native communities that are here in our area. Um, we're very fortunate to be working with the WAPO community and the Sugarloaf Ridge State Park for one of our field trips, you know. And for this community in particular, not having their federal recognition, it's very beneficial that a community um, is being supported because uh, just a quick introduction to that element, you know, here in, in, in the United States, we have tribes that have federal recognition. They're recognized by the federal government, but we have unfederally recognized tribes where they might be too small or according to the government, they don't have um, the means to be recognized, you know, as a mm -hmm. tribe but they're still a community and they're still doing good work. And so the WAPO people are one example of mm -hmm. that. And so we're going to be able to have um, some of their young leaders, you know, being able to step up and teach us. And it it's, again, we're not telling the WAPO story for them. Um, we're giving them that space for them to share with this cohort some of the work that they do and how that they can support them. And, uh, it's really a neat opportunity for me in another sense because my grandpa and my dad's generation did not grow up in a time where non-Native people cared about us and wanted us to be able to share who we are. And so it, to me, it, it feels really powerful that we get to call this our work, yeah. that we get to help uplift other people in our community and people get to see us for who we are. Yeah. When the two of you think about your journey so far in Redbud Resource Group and the way that it has grown and landed and resonated with Native communities and non-Native communities who who want to um, be a part of this progress in the way we think, the way we see, the way we um, treat land plant relatives and people relatives, uh, whether we're blood relatives or just part of the the human the human species, what have been some of the greatest joys for you so far? Uh, maybe there are anecdotes you could share about these many years, but because I think you are right, uh, Taylor, in that focusing on the strengths and the joys is one of the ways we all keep going uh, in order to face what are what are very hard. Uh, truths and realities historically and uh, contemporary times as well. So along with our Going Beyond Land, Land Acknowledgements program, we have a resource library that we are building out over time. And in the resource library are um, like strategic planning tools, but also video case studies from tribes covering a really wide range of topics. So we have land back case studies where we meet with tribes that got land back along with the property, original property owners. And we talk about what that process was like. We have a video that just came out yesterday that's all about Native art curation and why Native people should be telling their stories and the relationship between land and art. It's up on our website. Um, and then we also have one coming out next month on Native Advisory Council and how you set that up. And probably my favorite days at Redbud are filming days because that's when we get to go go to 
other Native communities and be in collaboration and create something really cool and exciting and uplifting with them. And it's great because, um, like Rose said, like we don't we don't get a lot of platforms uh, to tell our stories. And it's really cool when you go to a community who is not used to having the camera turned on them and letting them tell their story the way that they want it to be told. And we don't filter what people say. We don't tell them what to say um, because they know they know what needs to be said. And those are by far my favorite days. So uh, mm-hmm. I recommend checking it out on our website, redbedresourcegroup.org. It's under our Going Beyond Land Acknowledgements file, but we have a case study from up in Concow Valley, actually up in Butte County where you are. And then we have a number of other land back case studies coming out throughout the year as well. Uh, and it's just super strength-based, community-based collaboration that is really awesome. It feels really good. The other thing I love about Redbud is when we are uh, working with a non-native group for a long period of time on training, and um, we actually see them implementing what they say they're going to implement. So without saying names, we do have participants who have uh, started native advisory councils. We have participating groups who have dedicated decently large amounts of money towards um, native plant nurseries projects. Among other things, we've had land returned at greater speeds. Um, We've had uh, lots of different types of collaborations, grant writing collaborations, et cetera. And so anytime we see somebody actually taking what we're teaching and doing something with it, it's like, okay, that's progress, right? That is actually going to impact the Native community long term. And, um, you know, as a teacher, I love to see people learning and actually implementing the the lessons. So, yeah, beautiful. What about you, Rose? I just have to piggyback off of that and say that I think those are equally um, my favorite, you know, out, outside of my work with Redbud. I'm also a, a traditional dancer. And so I have a big joy of being able to travel to many communities um, for ceremony. And, and that part of my life and my journey, but being able to travel and see a whole nother side of our community, hear the struggle, but also see the successes and being able to help uplift all, all that goodness, you know, I think um, it, 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 it gets you emotional because it makes you proud mm. to see other people in the community doing good things and it being recognized and it being able to be celebrated. It's beautiful that we get to celebrate who we are and to be proud of it and to be able to share it with a whole new world of people through these videos. You know, they're up on our YouTube and we know how big of a platform that is. And so just to know that like, wow, like their story gets to be told everywhere. You know, they're always going to reach new audiences, new ears, new eyes, new insight. And I think um, going to, you know, working with uh, non-Native people in the past for me, um, you know, whether it was a cultural presentation or working on a project, I have felt many of those relationships where, you know, the non-Native person will promise that they're going to do something that yes, this is really going to happen. And it kind of gets pushed to the back and it doesn't happen. Um, or it's, you know, takes years for something to develop. And it's it's really uplifting and reassuring for communities to really care. Mm. You know, I think we're in a really cool time where 
people are so much uh, more open, you know, to um, being good allies, you know, being good support. And so I feel like we're helping shift people's mindsets through our trainings and, you know, the relationships are, you know, we go through these trainings and then we do six month follow-ups to see, you know, like, Hey, how you guys been doing? And Mm -hmm. we get a chance to kind of chat with them. Some of the things they've been able to do to do. And, um, it's just very uplifting to hear that they have all this space in their, their planning, um, just to, to give back and to dedicate time to being in good relationships and actually hearing organizations wanting to go to community events just to build those relationships. Um, it's a great, it's a great, uh, success. Yeah. It's a beautiful ecosystem. And I, you know, as a gardener myself, it, it is all related. Uh, and, and I think you all started this conversation out making that clear, you know, that the more we take good care of each other, especially in, in these times, it flows out into our ecosystems and improves our ability, uh, to be good gardeners in right and respectful relationship with, with plants and places and people. I want to finish quickly, if we can, with if you have three plants you would really like listeners to know about that you, uh, you know, want to highlight uh, as beloved relations in your life, what would those three plants or plant families be? Yeah, um, well, I have lots of plants that I look at when I'm walking. <laughs> uh, I will say I'm, I'm that and me and Rose do this a lot when we're walking around outside together too. We're always looking at food, like noticing mm-hmm. where food is on the land because so often I'm yes. with um, people who are not thinking about the land as what it is, which is a kitchen <laughs> and like a pantry um, that was intentionally designed to be that way by our ancestors. And so I always love when I find myself in a place um, and I look around me and I'm like, oh, well, there's Indian potato Oh, there's mugwort or moonwoony in, in my do. Um, and, and these things are edible and they're medicinal. So that's always really exciting to me. But um, things I often pick out on the spot when I'm walking around somewhere are red butter lily, uh, mugwort, and black oak trees. Of course, I'm always interested in oak trees, but I especially like black oaks. What is uh, the, your, what, what, traditional or tribal name do you give to mugwort and black oak? I think you already told us that for redbud. Um, I I believe that the term for the acorn of the black oak, because there's different terms for different types of oak, and I don't have them all down right now, yep. uh, is humsa for the acorn, okay. but then mugwort is moonwini. And mugwort's really interesting because um, like when you're walking around somewhere and you see, this, this is often the case, I'll see like a big like patch of just trash you know like blackberry bushes and ivy and things that are just growing all over the place if you remove them you often will see mugwort start to sprout up and it's in those moments where you're reminded why you're doing the work and you're reminded that your ancestors are still here and they're still on the land and they're still calling to you and talking to you and teaching to you um it's just that they're they're choked out (laughs) by invasive plants um, and so whenever, whenever you can see a native plant peeking out under the invasives, that's, that's a really exciting moment. And it's kind of a, 
an opportunity to be in conversation with your ancestors. Yeah. And, and it's a uh, an opportunity to see the rich um, and ironic metaphor that is there and to work to balance that too. Rose, what about you? Three three plants you want to highlight for listeners to know more about. Yeah, I think probably similar to Taylor. We look at the plants different from where we live versus where our tribal territories are. Mm -hmm. So I look for different plants here in Sonoma County. Uh, like the hip, uh, which is pepperwood. But when I go home, um, you know, up to uh, Round Valley, um, you know, much like a lot of the like way up north tribes, we use a lot of the redwood um, still in our um, eastern Pomo language from Lake County. That's my language I'm more familiar with. Um, we use redwood bark um, for regalia also, you know, um, ceremonial clothing and jewelry. Um, and same thing, I'm always looking for um, budu, which is uh, acorn in our language. Um, and again, you know, acorn changes depending where we're at. And um, we, in our culture, um, same as for Taylor's people, we make a lot of ul, which is a uh, mush, acorn mush. Um, and so we have different tastes, you know, some are kind of bitter, um, some are a little bit on the sweet side. Some have of just a very smooth finish. And so I think, um, you know, it, it also depends on the, uh, you know, time of year. You know, we're still in winter. So a lot of our food is still uh, kind of in its hibernation. Uh, but really looking forward to all this blessed rain we've had, um, which means our spring is going to be full of flowers and medicine. Yeah. Oh, thank you both very much for being guests on the program today. It has been an honor to speak with you and I am very grateful to be a perennial student, let's say, of the work that you are offering into the world. Thank you. Thank you. Yahui, thank you. Taylor Penwell is co-founder and executive director of the Redbud Resource Group. Rose Hammock is their community relations manager. The Redbud Resource Group is striving to improve public health outcomes for Native American communities through education, research, and community partnership. Their work integrating Native-created and based curriculum into K-12 education, as well as into public health and land management policy, also facilitates non-Native individuals and groups to go beyond land acknowledgements. As we look towards early July and consider what it means to be a citizen of a place, a country, the planet. Their work reminds us that it will take everyone in all fields to make sure Native voices are valued in every arena. Their resources support all communities in making an often erased population visible and heard again. And yes, their grandmothers are proud. Join us again next week when we ease into summer vacation a bit with a great summer garden read. We're in conversation with Jane Delury, whose newest 
title is Hedge. In unearthing the life of garden historian Maud, Delury pulls readers into a thicket of lust, responsibility, and betrayal that they won't want to escape, says Oprah Daly. It's a tapestry hedge for sure. That's next week. Listen in. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, a service of CAP Radio licensed to Chico State Enterprises. Cultivating Place is made possible by listeners just like you through the support button at the top right-hand corner of every page at cultivatingplace.com. Cultivating Place is also made possible through the generosity of the Caddo Shaw Foundation and through support from the Garden Conservancy. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler, tech and web support from Angel Haracha, weekly show transcripts by Doulis Transcription, and communications intern Sheila Stern. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.